Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. Police provide updates on the shooting that took place in a Virginia Walmart. The suspect was a store manager who opened fire on his co-workers. And the shooting suspect in Colorado makes a virtual appearance in court. Court documents with the suspect's gender pronouns are also gaining attention. Former President Trump posted a response to the recent Supreme Court ruling against him. He said the ruling is unprecedented. An exclusive with the Epic Times' Joshua Phillip on what he's calling China's final war against the U.S. And we hear about his latest documentary that details the strategy of the regime. And fashion brand Balenciaga apologizes and pulls ads now under fire for associating children with sex. Police have identified the suspect in the Walmart shooting last night. The shooter opened fire inside a Walmart, Walmart in Chesapeake, Virginia, killing six people. Police in Chesapeake, Virginia on Wednesday identified the Walmart shooting suspect as 31-year-old Andre Bing. Walmart said in a statement that he was an overnight team leader and had been with the company since 2010. Employee Brianna Tyler said 15 to 20 people were gathered in the break room Tuesday night. And pretty much as soon as my team lead said, all right, guys, you know, we have a, a light night ahead of us. I looked up and my manager turned around and he just opened fire on everybody in the break room. And it is by the grace of God that a bullet missed me. Police said the manager used a handgun and died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound before officers arrived on the scene. There was no clear motive for the shooting. He didn't say a word. He didn't point at anyone. He didn't look at anyone specific. He just had a blank stare on his face, and he just literally just looked around the room and just shot. And there were people just dropping to the floor. Everybody was screaming, gasping. And yeah, he just walked away after that and just continued throughout the store and just kept shooting. Authorities are still investigating the suspect's background to learn more about what may have motivated the shooting. The six victims are not yet identified. Three of them died at the store and three died at local hospitals. Here's a doctor at one of those hospitals. We um, had a total of, of five patients that were transported to our facility. Um, two of those patients have unfortunately passed away. Um, we have two patients that are in critical condition uh, and one patient that's in good condition at this time. Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin commented, Our hearts break with the community of Chesapeake this morning. Heinous acts of violence have no place in our communities. President Biden, meanwhile, called for more action on gun control. He said, We mourn for those who will have empty seats at their Thanksgiving table because of these tragic events. We must take greater action. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. And we also have some updates from the Colorado nightclub shooting. That suspect appeared in court for the first time today. The court finds that Anderson Aldrich appears in custody for video advisement today with counsel. Counsel, are you waiving reading an advisement of the rights, charges, and penalties in this case at this time? Yes, we are. Colorado Springs shooting suspect Anderson Lee Aldrich joined his advisement hearing on Tuesday virtually from jail. The judge in this case ordered no bond and set the next hearing. The next court hearing in this case will be held on December 6th of 2022 at 8.30 in the morning in Division 21 with Judge Michael McHenry. The potential charges include five counts of first-degree murder and hate crimes. Prosecutors say they will file formal charges, likely by the next court date. 
According to lawyers and court documents, Aldrich self-identifies as non-binary and uses they-them pronouns. The shooting on Saturday night left five people dead and 17 more injured at an LGBT club. And in a Trump update, the former president responded today to a recent Supreme Court ruling. The ruling gave a Democratic House committee access to Trump's tax records. In a Truth Social post, he blasted the court, saying it has the lowest approval rating in its long and storied history. He criticized the court for being unwilling to make bold, courageous, and proper decisions, saying they're always wanting to be politically correct. The court's approval rating has been on the decline since 2020. It especially dipped among Democrats this July. In another Truth Social post, Trump said it is unprecedented for a president to turn over his tax records. Almost every president since 1970 has made them public, although not by court order. Meanwhile, an accountant of the former president testified that Trump reported major losses on his tax returns every year for a decade. Mark Bender was granted immunity before testifying in the criminal tax fraud trial. The Manhattan DA charged the Trump Organization with helping top executives avoid paying income taxes on additional compensation they received. And turning now to China, a new documentary traces all the way back to the beginning of the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, to reveal the regime's 100-year plot to defeat America. I spoke with the Epic Times senior investigative journalist Joshua Phillip, who features in the film The Final War. Joshua Phillip, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, always a pleasure. And yeah, some inter interesting stuff to go into. Indeed. Now, Americans are understandably largely focused on domestic issues like the cost of living. And when we think of international adversaries, for many, Russia comes to mind. But you're saying that we should really be concerned about the Chinese Communist Party. So could you tell me about that? Well, I, I'd, I'd agree. People care a lot about domestic issues. They need. To, it's important to understand that the Chinese Communist Party has become a domestic issue. Because whether we like it or not, we are at war with the Chinese Communist Party in ways that we do not consider to be war. But they do. The Chinese Communist Party, as I describe in this documentary, has declared a 100-year war against the United States, and they are at the latter end of that. The CCP has been talking about, for example, culture warfare, business warfare, legal warfare, media warfare, culture warfare. They are manipulating the open system of the United States to undermine us in every single way. And this is being done in a very intentional, very coordinated way, and the intention of it is to overtake the United States as the world leader and eventually wage war on and destroy the United States. And so why exactly would the Chinese Communist Party want to defeat America? So the Chinese Communist Party has a slogan, which is, we live, you die. They, they don't believe that the Chinese Communist Party, being a communist system, they don't believe it can coexist with the United States. Uh, they believe, as did all the communists in the past, that pretty much for communism to succeed, the free world, the you know liberal democracy or the republic system, it needs to come to an end. As long as there's an example for people to turn to, as long as people can look and see there's a country that has freedom and that under freedom, people can be both prosperous and happy and also have a stable society, as long as people can see that, they will desire it. It's why one of the reasons, one of the main reasons why the Soviet Union collapsed. Because people could look at the TV and they can say, hey, those Americans, they criticize them all they want. But even that family, you know, going on the road through the Great Depression, they still have a car. 
They still have possessions. They still have freedom. They can move. We can't. Uh, just like the Chinese Communist Party looking right now at Taiwan, where people with the same cultural heritage as the Chinese people uh, have built a very successful, very harmonious society without communism that will always serve as an example of what they could be if they had freedom, of what they could have without the communist system. And the CCP understands that, and they know that they cannot exist forever as long as free societies exist. So now this is the first documentary ever made about communist China's 100-year war. Why do you think that is, considering that even President Biden now says the Communist Party is America's biggest threat? Well, I think it's more accurate to say it's the first really, really comprehensive one. There, there have been other documentaries that have touched on parts of it. This one has really tried to put together kind of the collective picture of information that you would get if you'd been studying the Chinese Communist Party for like 15 years. Uh, this is taking what I think the kind of the cutting edge of, you know, the, the small core of uh, you know, China experts tend to understand about the CCP and what it represents. And I think it's been not as well known because what the CCP, what the CCP says per, you know, privately to the United States, what, what they try to communicate is this image of peaceful rise, is this image of peaceful coexistence, whereas in their own documents, in their own doctrines, and in their internal speeches, this is what they're talking about in reality, that they believe they need to defeat the United States and they have a real program to do it. And you've said that China's communist leadership is not far from achieving its goal. What should our viewers know about this battle that could help them into the future? Well, I'd say they're nearing the end of the unconventional side of it. They're nearing the end of the non-military side of it. And very soon they're going to enter the military side of it. Uh, this is why we call it the final war. The Chinese Communist Party, in its own words, regards COVID-19, for example, as a World War III scenario through which they will remake the global government system. I think you kind of see right now a vying for control over this, which is why all these global powers are kind of fighting over it right now. The important thing to understand with this is the main foundation of it, the core of it, is an ideological war. This goes back to the Soviet Union, an ideological subversion. This is a war being fought mainly through perception. And your own understanding of this is where that war is being fought. So, you know, one of the reasons we did this documentary is to help people understand this. And so if you want to help fight it, yeah, I'd say watch it, learn it, and also help spread it. And hopefully get your elected leaders to also understand it as well. Indeed, The Final War. That's the name of the documentary, and I'm sure our viewers will be looking forward to watching it. Thank you so much, Joshua Phillips, Senior Investigative Journalist for the Epic Times. Appreciate your time. Always a pleasure. Thank you. That film again, The Final War, can be streamed via Epic TV at theepictimes.com forward slash Epic TV. Next, we hear more about an after-school program called The Satan Club. It says it doesn't teach Satanism, but it is countering Christian programs. The after-school Satan Club is a program for schools offered by the Satanic Temple. On the temple's homepage, they describe the club with terms like educating with Satan and state that their arch enemies are Christian clubs for kids. The club has recently come to Golden Hills Elementary School in California, where kids as young as five are eligible to join. Parents need to be vigilant about who they allow to speak into the lives of their children. Delano Squires is a research fellow at the Heritage Foundation with a focus on religion and family. 
He tells NTD he wouldn't let his kids join the club. I don't think that there needs to be a false balance. The, the kids will get enough uh, exposure to Satan in their daily lives going about what they do in the world. There's no reason to make a club out of it. The professor at Golden Hills Elementary School, who will lead the club, reportedly said it's an alternative to the Christian club the school offers. It's impossible for me to believe that they can start the club in that name and not have some of that worldview come out to children. Uh, I, I know the founders said they, you know, they talk about science and reason, but you can talk about science and reason in, in the classroom. He cites abortion and cross-sex procedures as examples. The Satanic Temple's co-founder said that the club's goal is to teach critical thinking in science, but not actually Satanism. He told NTD in a statement that they include Satan in the name because they don't need to conceal that the Satanic Temple is behind the club, similar to how Catholic hospitals have biblical names without demanding conversion from their patients. I do believe that all children would, would benefit from exposure to the Bible, from exposure to Christian teaching. The co-founder of the Satanic Temple says the focus of the Christian clubs is indoctrinating children into a viewpoint of biblical fundamentalism, adding some people are eager to beat that type of traumatic superstition into their children's heads. Squires says there is value in biblical teachings. Reporting by Arian Pastar, NTD News. Next, a judge ruled in favor of a parent-led group that sued a Southern California school district for their COVID jab mandates. NTD Cynthia Kai hears from the woman responsible for that lawsuit. The California Appellate Court on Wednesday struck down San Diego Unified School District's COVID-19 mandate for students attending public schools. The ruling sets a state precedent and would apply to all California school districts. So December 20th of 2021, Judge Meyer ruled that uh, San Diego Unified's vaccine mandate was unlawful. It went against state law and ruled in our favor. So all students were able to remain in class because of our lawsuit in 2021. Sharon McKeeman is the founder of Let Them Breathe. Let Them Choose, an initiative of her group, sued the school district in October 2021. That came after they passed a vaccine roadmap that would require students 16 and older to be vaccinated with no personal belief exemptions. San Diego Unified made the bad decision to waste taxpayer dollars appealing that clear legal ruling. And now almost a year later, an appellate court has upheld our ruling against San Diego Unified's vaccine mandate. The judge heard their appeal on November 14th and ruled in favor of the nonprofit organization. According to the organization's attorney, Lee Andelin, school districts do not have authority to impose their own vaccination requirements on top of the standard series. School districts do not have the authority to make their own vaccine requirements. That would create chaos in the state, and that is an area uh, that is occupied by the state legislature, and there's a clear path uh, you know, through the legislature. That, that is the only way that uh, additional vaccines can be added or any changes can be made as far as personal belief exemptions. The court keyed in on independent study not being equivalent to in-person instruction. The organization is also asking parents to continue to advocate for personal belief exemptions. NTD reached out to the San Diego Unified School District for a comment. And in a shocking series of events, fashion brand Balenciaga has issued an apology after being accused of sexualizing children in a recent ad campaign. And perhaps even more shocking, the trail of similar insinuations in the brand's previous fashion shoots. 
The ads for Balenciaga's spring-summer 2023 collection show two young girls with teddy bears dressed in what looks to be bondage outfits. We've blurred the image. The ads did not. And in another ad, court documents about the legalization of virtual child sex abuse. Balenciaga came out on Tuesday with an apology for displaying unsettling documents in their campaign. The brand saying it's taking legal action and that it has removed the ads from all platforms. It's also deleted all of its posts on Instagram. Reactions have been strong. Commentators saying the apology should not be accepted and keep speaking out when you see evil like this. YouTuber Anton Daniels saying, For me, this is demonic. For me, this is demonic. Because it illustrates and it represents a lot of the different things that we actually advocate against, including protecting our children. And on Twitter, the group Gays Against Groomers pointing out, There's more. This picture here might just be somebody sitting at their desk in New York City, right? Wrong. What are these books here? Who is Michael Borman and why is his book featured in a Balenciaga ad? It must be a good book. Wrong. It's a book that depicts child exploitation. Showing depictions of nude children inside the featured book, saying the images are so horrific that Google can't show them. And there are insinuations in other Balenciaga ad campaigns. But who is this here? Including a certificate with the name of a man reportedly accused of molesting his granddaughter at four years old. Judicial Watch's Tom Fitton asking, will there be federal and state criminal investigations into the ads? And has Meta's Instagram explained why it allowed the ads to on its platforms? We reached out to Instagram for comment, but we haven't heard back yet. And Candace Owens asking whether Balenciaga will just get to say sorry or meet other consequences. Are they going to have to meet with the ADL, Tucker? Are they going to lose a billion dollars in a day, Tucker? Are we going to see celebrities take a stand on something that is incredibly important, as, as incredibly important as child pornography? I'm waiting. The silence is quite deafening, as the left likes to say. Others saying Balenciaga is very much canceled. I don't care what explanation. Don't mess with children. A six-week abortion ban is to be reinstated in Georgia. The state Supreme Court today ruled against a motion by a group that describes itself as advocating for reproductive justice. The six-week ban was initially overturned because of a ruling by Fulton County's Superior Court judge. According to that ruling, abortion was legal until 20 weeks of pregnancy. And if you have any news tips or feedback for our show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. Coming up, at the World Cup, just a day after Argentina was stunned by Saudi Arabia, has another favorite stumbled? NTD's Dave Martin has the latest. And ahead of Thanksgiving, the spirit of the holiday is in the air at a Sacred Heart community service in San Jose. We'll hear about their dedication to bringing special meal boxes to people in need. That and more right after this short break. Now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Steph. Another day, another upset at the World Cup. This time Germany suffered the surprise defeat with Japan scoring two late goals to come from behind and pull off a shocking 2-1 win 
over one of the tournament favorites. Now, if you're a Germany fan, you'll recall a similar start four years ago when the then defending champions suffered similar upsets to both Mexico and South Korea and failed to advance past the group stage. Still, the Japan win wasn't as shocking as Saudi Arabia's stunner yesterday when they topped Argentina for just their fourth win ever in World Cup play. And in college football news, a jury rejected a lawsuit by the widow of a former USC player who sought $55 million. She said the NCAA failed to protect her husband from repeated head trauma that was to blame for his death. Matthew G. was a linebacker for the 1990 Trojans team that won the Rose Bowl. Lawyers say he endured an estimated 6,000 hits as a collegiate athlete. They allege these impacts caused permanent brain damage and led to cocaine and alcohol abuse that eventually killed him at age 49. Guy was one of five linebackers on the 1989 Trojan squad who died before turning 50. All displayed signs of mental deterioration associated with head trauma. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, 12 NBA games are in the works, including the surprising Sacramento Kings, who've won seven in a row playing the Atlanta Hawks. And in the NHL, 30 teams are in action today, including the still-hot New Jersey Devils, who've won 13 straight games to tie the franchise record. They'll host the Toronto Maple Leafs. And finally, for you college basketball fans, six ranked teams are in action tonight, featuring a game between 9th-ranked Arkansas and 17th-ranked San Diego State at the Maui Invitational. And that's it for sports. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. A final story tonight about a nonprofit helping those in need this Thanksgiving. NTD's David Lamb, here's how a California community gives from the heart. For many of the volunteers here, the start of their holidays means giving back to the community. So before they spend time with their own families, they're making sure those in need could also have a warm holiday. Every year, the Sacred Heart Community Service Center puts up a holiday food boxes and distribution event in San Jose, and their volunteers drive it home. Some people, like Cindy Graham, have volunteered every Tuesday for several years now. I am 70 and I'm proud of it. So, <laughs> 70 years old, and um, most of my co workers are probably, well, some of them are older, and yet we all want to give back to the community. The team's goal this year for its 58th annual event is to distribute turkey, chicken, and all the food behind them to 4,000 families by Wednesday. Onions and carrots and potatoes and squash and eggplant, milk, eggs, um, bread, desserts. The nonprofit Sacred Heart was founded in 1964 to feed hungry families. A manager told us that people as far as Redwood City came by to pick up their Thanksgiving dinner boxes this week. We are having a lot of people line up early. There's really no need to because we're not going to run out of turkey. So um, today we are open from 9 to 6 and then tomorrow we'll be open from 9 to 12. Rents increased pretty significantly uh, right now, especially just over the last couple of months. And so we're seeing a lot of families experiencing deeper level of need and coming more often uh, to us for actually help or support. 
A, a box of, um, you know, I mean, a, a food that is just, just tremendous. This last year, I found out that I had a aplastic anemia, which is a blood disease. It's really about becoming content with what you have and being grateful. And so even though, you know what, I may have this blood disease or whatever, I still have a lot to be grateful for. You know, I have an 18-month-old daughter that just, you know, is just hashtag blessed, you know. It, it just, you know, it's just the love of my life. The food is donated by other agencies and the communities stopping by. Dropping off a turkey is a tiny piece of it, um, but the work that they do day in and day out all year long is really amazing. Okay. I'm just happy to be here. And this is one thing that I, I don't want to miss, is my third, Tuesday morning at Sacred Heart. And next week I'm doing three days, so it's like, I just, this is what I want to do. While this food distribution ends on Wednesday, heartfelt efforts from volunteers like Graham keep Sacred Heart's name beating strong. David Lamb, NTD News, California. And a director with Sacred Heart Community Service just told us their volunteers and staff gave out over 3,000 boxes during the three-day event. And they hope to start giving again a week before Christmas. Well, that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.